Will somebody get the lights back there? Right behind you. What do you think about that? I want us to be a little interactive this morning. We're already being we're already showing videos, which is different, so why not? How do you how do you react to that? Who wants to throw it out? <laughs> the education system has failed. Okay. Parents are getting their money's worth. What, do you, what did you notice about some of the things they said? Non-confrontational. Very non-confrontational. Good. So what was their uh, general kind of expression throughout this whole thing? Not, I, feel. I feel. Okay, you notice them say, I feel. Tolerance. Okay, we're about to talk about that. Tolerance. No absolute standard. Yeah, no absolute standard. There's a couple telling moments, I think. One was when I think one of the uh, young women said, um, I wouldn't tell someone they're wrong, right? Uh, the other moment was when I think another one of the young women said that that was not her place as a human, right? And you can see them become more and more uncomfortable, right? As they're pushing against kind of their commitment to being as accepting and tolerant as they could possibly be to the point where it's absurd, right? And yeah, I mean, all of us in this room are kind of, you're almost laughing, but you're also kind of wincing a little bit. Like, how has it come to this? How has it come to this? And uh, this morning, we're going to read what is a very, very famous part of the Sermon on the Mount, as, as much of it is. Uh, even to people who perhaps were in this video, they've maybe even heard this, maybe they even used this to talk about their position on tolerance. And our challenge this morning is how do you interact as we enter into chapter 7? This is the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus really turns to how do we seek first the kingdom and the world around us both with Christians and non-Christians. So in a world that hates judgmentalism, hates it, abhors judgmentalism, and those of you who know my story know that I did too, right, before I became a Christian. How are we then to read the words of Jesus when he says, judge not, judge not, for you will be judged? What do we do with that? What do we do with these words of Christ, who non-believers just like this will use and say, well, look, you can't judge either. What do we do with his words when he says, judge not, for we will be judged? There, uh, I think I thought about so many different things. If you remember the Seinfeld episode, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, right? You think about how did we get here? Uh, Andy Crouch uh, wrote the, an article about a year ago in Christianity Today, and this is kind of what he says. He says, talk of right and wrong is now troubling, and it's accompanied by seeming indifference to the expression of shame that accompanies judgments of immorality. In other words, we're not allowed anymore to bring any kind of judgment of right and wrong because that can bring shame. And in fact, the shame is on us if we do such a thing. A great book uh, called, uh, by D.A. Carson called The Intolerance of Tolerance. And what he finds is that really tolerance has changed in our culture. That used to be that really the traditional definition of tolerance was something like, look, I may disagree with you, and you might disagree with me, uh, and that's okay. You can have your opinion, I have my opinion, and we're going to respect one another, and we're, we can hash it out. That used to be what the traditional definition of tolerance was. Now, tolerance is this, that really, 
tolerances, you cannot say that anybody is wrong. That in fact, it, his argument is it's now actually intolerant. That's what tolerance is today in our culture. He puts it this way. He says, the old tolerance is willing to put up with or allow or endure people uh, and ideas with whom we disagree. The new tolerance is a social commitment, and you saw this commitment in the video, right? To treat all ideas and people as equally right, except for people who disagree with this view of tolerance. All right, so the question is, how do we get here? And what I want you to see in this video and their commitment is that I, I think our culture now is at a place we don't just reject judgmentalism. That's not what we're doing anymore. That used to be what we did. And in some ways, there's some purity to that, right? To reject judgment. We'll see that in a second. We're not rejecting anymore as a culture judgmentalism for the sake of cultural humility. We have actually rejected the judge. And because we have rejected the judge, there now is no, it's not just, well, you can't be judgmental. It's, well, there is no judge at all. There is no one who is more superior who says, this is what right is, and this is what wrong is. And because we've rejected the judge, we've rejected the king, we've rejected all authority as a culture, well, then we have no one has any right to say what is right or what is wrong. So the question for us this morning is, how do we enter into that? How do we seek first the kingdom in a culture that's rejected the king? How do we follow Jesus' command to judge not in a world that thinks we're judgmental, in a world that has rejected the judge? Three brief things that I want to put before you um, from uh, just a few verses, the beginning of uh, Matthew 7. And then I want you to really wrestle with this this morning in your groups. And, and what I want you to do is not just kind of project onto um, a bunch of college students out at the University of Washington in Seattle, but I want you to recognize your own place in this conversation. So the first thing I think that we must do is we must recognize that we are not the judge. There is a judge, but you are not him, okay? That's very important. There is a judge and you are not him, okay? Second, we must repent of our hypocrisy. And I'm going to show you that this is going to be a daily battle for us. We need to repent of our hypocrisy. And third, it is our call is to us, as we seek first the kingdom of God, we must pursue reconciliation in Jesus Christ. That's our call. We are not the judge. We must repent of our hypocrisy. We must pursue reconciliation in Jesus Christ. And the first thing is, is exactly what I read. Uh, we must recognize we're not the judge. Look at with me. This is verse 1, Matthew 7, the words of Jesus. He says, Judge not that you will not be judged. For with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Now, of course, I think non-Christians love this verse, and really they love it for the first two words. Judge not. Because we hate judgmentalism, don't we? And I think you probably do too. Uh, you hate when people are judgmental to you. Uh, in fact, in many ways, probably now in our culture, the judgmentalism has flipped. And it's not just we who are accused as Christians of being judgmental uh, or, you know, that we're the judgmental ones, but actually we feel judgment from our culture now. Uh, we feel that judgment, that we are now actually seen as bigots, right? We are seen as morally wrong in our commitments to truth. So we, we don't like it either. We don't like it when people judge us, when they falsely accuse us. 
And one of the questions I want you to wrestle with at, our ta- at your table is why? Why do we hate that? Well, what I want you to see is Jesus doesn't stop with judge not. No, he has a point. And his point is that you be not judged. His point is this. You are not called to judge other people as a Christian. And the reason is not because, well, judgmentalism is bad. No, the reason is because you're not the judge. There is a judge, and his name is God. And you are not God. And any time that you judge another person, you are doing two things. One, you're putting yourself in the place of God. But you are also, and this is what he's going to get to, you are also refusing to put yourself under the same judgment of God as you are putting them. You have somehow removed yourself from humanness, (laughs) and you've said, listen, I'm now above you, and I'm not even held to the same standard that you are. This is what he says, verse 2. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, you are just like everybody else. You are a sinner, just like everybody else. You deserve the judgment of God, just like everybody else. And so if you judge someone else, you must recognize you also are going to be judged. So whatever judgment you are heaping upon someone else, you deserve, you are going to get the same judgment. And you can turn here, you can just listen. This is what Paul says in Romans. Romans chapter 2 just after he talks about uh, our idolatry. And what you see is so much of this is idolatry. Our judgment of others is idolatry. Our hypocrisy is idolatry. We'll see that. But just after he talks about idolatry in, in Romans 1, this is what Paul says. He says, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. It's hard to hear this morning, isn't it? And in some ways, you might say, well, no, that's not true. I'm better than everybody else, right? And I think what we're trying to see this morning is that we, outside of Christ, are really the same. The only difference between you and somebody in Seattle, Washington, is that God, by His sovereign grace and mercy, has completely transformed your heart, and you now beat and live for Him, and that you are being conformed to His image. Do you have anything to do with that? No, that's by His grace, upon grace, upon grace. What excuse do you have? You have no excuse. For you who judge, don't recognize that you practice the very same things. Romans 3, the next chapter, Paul says, All sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness that at the present time He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You are under the same judgment because you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only reason why God sees you differently is not because of you, but it's because of Him. Because God loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the ultimate one who will judge all things. And the judge came down off the bench 
And the judge took the place of the criminal, was crucified, he died, and he rose again so that you and I could be justified. So Jesus says, judge not, judge not, judge not, so that you will not be judged. We must first recognize that there is a a judge. His name is God, and we are not God. Second, what must we do? Well, we must repent of our hypocrisy. Jesus continues, verse 3. Verse 3, he says uh, another very famous, famous line. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? Made me think of another video. Have you seen the one where it's, it's called, it's not about the nail? Have you seen it? It's great. This woman has a giant nail out of her forehead, and she's talking about how much pain she's in all the time, and she just can't sleep, and she's so uncomfortable, and then she gets out her sweaters, and they're all just like torn up, because <laughs> when she puts them over her head, they get snagged, and the guys the whole time just sit there like, try to point to the nail, and finally she just says, it's not about the nail, you know? We have this ability to notice the sins of everybody else without noticing that we have sin too. And probably one of our favorite things to do is, is, and this is what we do typically in the way that we group ourselves with people, is we love to notice the sins that we don't struggle with, right? We're really good at that. We, we love to call out the sins of other people that we don't struggle with those particular things. And so typically we even group ourselves with people a lot of times that we struggle with the same things. Why? Well, it's almost like this unspoken, look, if you don't call me out, I'm not going to call you out. <laughs> You're not going to shame me. I'm not going to shame you. This is, this is Jesus' point. I mean, it's, it's as absurd as saying, hey, look, hey, listen, you got a speck in your eye. You got a little dust in there. And while we're saying that, we have a giant log, you know, two by four coming straight out of our forehead. And Jesus is saying, it's, it's that ridiculous. It's that absurd. Like, how, how could you do that? H- how could you call someone out about the speck in their eye? And yet this whole time you have a giant log. And you almost are pretending like it doesn't exist, like it's not even there. This is called hypocrisy, and it's what over and over and over again Jesus rails against in the Gospels. Over and over again, Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Right, it's the same thing. Oh, look, there's a gnat in my tea, straining it out, and now I'm going to gulp it down. <laughs> there's a camel in it, right? You, it's, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. And I want you to see, how, that's what hypocrisy is. It is ridiculous. It's removing yourself from the place of judgment, right? That you are not judged anymore. It's saying, look, I'm better, right? I'm different than everybody else. I'm, I'm calling out others' sin, but I'm saying I'm not a sinner. And what I want you to see is that over and over and over again throughout the history of Christianity, this has been one of the number one critiques against what we practice, that we are hypocrites, What you see is this is deep within us as humans. This is why Jesus was railing against it 2,000 years ago. And I believe hypocrisy is not a Christian issue or even a religion issue. I think it's a human issue. I think all of us are hypocrites 
All of us. Why? Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And because we hate that, we are constantly trying to speak differently than the way that we actually are. Our words, our actions are not consistent. You can even see some of that dissonance in the video. So it said, you know, you've probably heard this. I'm not sure that he actually said it, um, just attributed to him, that Gandhi, right, said this, that he said, if it weren't for Christians, I would have been a Christian. Uh, But I do know Nietzsche said this. Nietzsche absolutely said this. He said, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked more redeemed. Right, and this is, I mean, we kind of hear this, right, that, look, Christians don't always look like Jesus. And this is one of the most common arguments against Christianity. Why don't Christians actually look more like Jesus? And the answer is this, because we're just a bunch of sinners who need Jesus just like you. This is the great hypocrisy, right? It's not that we are saying, look, I'm better than you, uh, that, you know, look, here's the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is this, that we, we pretend that we don't need Jesus, and everybody else does. We, we pretend that somehow we are not sinners, and everybody else is. And what I want you to see is hypocrisy misses the gospel completely. I think that's why Jesus just over and over again condemned it. It misses the gospel. It misses the whole point. The good news of the gospel is that the gospel is for sinners. As Paul said, he is the chief of all sinners, right? The first and foremost. That's us. We are a bunch of sinners in need of his grace, in need of the gospel we tell others about. Just as much as we tell them and we recognize they need Jesus, we need Jesus too. One of my favorite quotes uh, in literature, I've quoted before, but it's from Moby Dick. Uh, Moby Dick, and this is uh, you know, Herman Melville in his words, this is what he says. He says, Heaven have mercy on us all. And I probably love it because it calls us out in particular. He says, Heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike. Uh, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. We have to repent of our hypocrisy, not just for the sake of how we are seen in the world around us, but for our own sake. That each and every day we need to put on Christ, as Jesus said. That we need the gospel every day, just as much as we need it the first day we came to believe that each day we are being more and more conformed to the image of His Son. We need grace. We need grace upon grace upon grace. We need to daily repent of our hypocrisy. Lastly, and where we'll end this morning and send you to your tables, we must pursue reconciliation in Christ Jesus. Okay, so if we were to stop here, you might think, okay, well, what am I supposed to do then? Uh, I'm a hypocrite. Uh, if you're going to be honest this morning, you're going to say, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a hypocrite. And Jesus told me not to judge people. And so I guess I just need to keep my mouth shut. Like, what, what, how do I relate? Um, am I allowed? Am I allowed to call out sin when I see it? Or am I just supposed to not say anything? And if we stop now, you might be tempted to think, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. That we're just supposed to kind of let things happen. It's not our place, as one of the ladies said, right? Who am I as a human to say something is right or wrong? But remember, what Jesus is saying is not just don't judge. His point is don't judge because you are not the judge. And there is a judge. And I believe we actually don't have a moral responsibility to keep our mouths shut. We actually now more than ever have a moral responsibility to speak and boldly proclaim what we know to be true. In the words of Peter, how could we keep 
from speaking about the things we have seen and heard. But what we are telling other people is not look at me and how awesome I am and what I have done and how sinless I am and you can be like me. No, we say, look, I am just like you. And let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about the judge, Jesus Christ, who one day will judge all things, who has declared in his word there is right and wrong and all of us has fallen short of his glory, who has said that all those outside of the covenant outside of the sovereign grace and mercy, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are left in their sin and they will perish for eternity. We must speak about that. But before we do, we must recognize who we are. And this is what I believe Jesus is saying is verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, some commentators read this and say, okay, what Jesus is saying is, look, you can't do that, and so you're not supposed to say anything, right? That's the basic idea. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, look, before you're going to call someone else out, you better call yourself out, right? Before you rail against them, you must recognize that you are under the same judgment. And so if you see a brother in sin, you first need to repent of your own. You first need to recognize that if you are struggling, that if you've had the same sin struggle, that you're certainly you can identify. But even if you haven't, let's say it's something you haven't struggled with ever. Do you also recognize that you are a fellow sinner too? Uh, we have several men in our church who uh, struggle with same-sex attraction. And it's easy as a heterosexual man to say, I, I can't identify with that, and so I judge it, right? But I think what we'd, we'd see Paul say over and over again is, and what I've said to those men many times, is, listen, you struggle with your homosexuality, I struggle with my heterosexuality. And we both need the gospel of grace. We both need to pursue repentance. We both need to recognize that God has created sex for his glory, the confines of a marriage between one man and one woman. We're both held to that. And when I lust with my eyes, I recognize I'm a sinner too. So take the log out of your own eye before you try to remove a speck from somebody else's. I think we see this over and over and over again in the teachings of Paul. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are now a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And now God is, Christ has reconciled us to himself and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we are called to seek reconciliation of all things because we've been reconciled to God. And I believe that's our calling now. We recognize first and foremost, we've been reconciled, not because of us, because we are now a new creation in Christ. And now we are called to seek that reconciliation. That as we laugh at things at the University of Washington, we also should be heartbroken and we should pray for every single one of these college students who clearly does not know their Lord and Creator and their Savior, Jesus Christ, right? That we should pursue the reconciliation of all things. Uh, yes, of the outsider, but also of the insider, especially of Christian brothers, especially of Christian brothers. Uh, this is what Paul says in Galatians. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So first, come at it with a spiritual sense. So in other words, not in a, 
um, <clears throat> look at me, I've got logic, but no, I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. You are spiritual, and then are sworn in a spirit of gentleness. Yes, call it out. Yes, restore that brother, but do so gently. And where does that gentleness come from? Well, I think it comes from love. So if ever you're wondering, should I call out a sin that I see in somebody else? I think first, <laughs> you need to repent of your own. And then second, what's your motivation? Do you just want to be right? Do you just want to prove someone wrong? Or do you and are you compelled out of great love for them that they would know their great Redeemer and they would be restored? Uh, James 5, uh, we talked about this in our study of James from the pulpit. Uh, My brothers, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So it's not that we're supposed to just keep our mouth shut. We actually are responsible. We are actually being called to seek the reconciliation of those inside the church and those outside the church. But we do so must recognize that we've been reconciled ourselves. Uh, that Christ is the one, ultimately, we can't do it ourselves. Christ is the one who has removed the log out of our eyes. And only for that reason can we begin to call out in grace and in love the speck in others. So what's this look like? As you go to your tables, um, you know, a lot of talk about Christian accountability, and I love accountability, but I think the way we think about it often is usually shame. Right. In other words, I don't want to tell the guys tomorrow, so I'm not going to do this today. Uh, that um, oftentimes we're holding each other uh, to a standard, and, and I think it's important for us to yes, we need to hold each other accountable, but accountable to what? Not accountable to one another, but what we are doing is we are mutually holding each other accountable to God, the Judge. That our role in Christian accountability is to constantly call one another out, not because we're putting one another above or below each other, but because all of us are under the same authority, and all of us are seeking the same kingdom, and all of us are seeking the same righteousness. We're constantly reminding one another that, hey, that's not who you are anymore. The sin that you're entangled with is not who you are. You have been changed. You have been redeemed. This is who Christ is. This is Ephesians 4, verse 15. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is, to, who is Christ. All right, lastly, the last verse, verse 6, is interesting, as Jesus some often does. Just kind of throws this out there. What are, we to, we, what are we to do with this? Well, it's in the same vein, the same theme. Verse 6, he says, Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I think the point is this. It's been the theme the whole time. Listen, you're not the judge. You are not the justifier. You are a fellow pilgrim, a fellow sinner in need of grace, in need of mercy. And so recognize this, that as you seek reconciliation in the world around you, there are going to be people that have a hard heart and do not want to be reconciled. That is not up to you. It's not up to you. That's hard. It is hard to seek the reconciliation of a brother and desperately want to see them change. And they just become harder and harder and harder. And if you live long enough, you're going to see it. It's going to break your heart. And I think what Jesus is trying to teach us this morning is, listen, that's not your job, it's his. And there are going to be times when you try to seek reconciliation in somebody else 
And because their heart is hard, they're going to reject it. He says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. We've been given grace upon grace upon grace. It's our job to then dispense, to tell, to proclaim that grace to others, but to recognize that grace is sovereign and it's not ours. Our job is to seek reconciliation. It's not to reconcile. We don't have that power. He does. So we pray and we plead. We point one another to Jesus. We recognize that sometimes, sometimes we can't change anybody. Only He can do that. And only He, begins with you and me, only He can be the one that can ultimately take the log out of your own eye so that specks can be taken out of others. Let me pray for you. Let me send you to your tables. Father, pray that you would grant us great wisdom this morning as we dive into what is a very weighty subject. Um, Lord, I pray this morning, if nothing else, we leave this place knowing just how much you love us. That your son died for us, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because while we were sinners, he died for us. While we deserved condemnation, he died for us. Um, Lord, we recognize at the end of all things, everyone will be judged. But for us, we who are in Christ Jesus, that judgment has not fallen on us, it's fallen on your Son. And so to that, this morning we say, hallelujah, thank you. We pray in light of that that we would walk in great humility, but also with the great knowledge that we do possess, the great knowledge of the judge. We pray that by your sovereign power and your judgment, we'd be able to proclaim what is truth, what is right, and what is wrong. And that above all else, you'd give us the ability to proclaim Jesus, who has saved us and is seeking the salvation of sinners all over this world. We ask in his name we pray. Amen.